Well, good evening. It's good to gather together and as we have opportunity to continue to, um, I pray, grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior and to uh, know his word and to, uh, on nights like tonight, to stretch our minds a little bit uh, through this study, through the confession. Sometimes we, we're grappling with things in a short amount of time that we're covering a lot of thinking that has to go into it. But uh, on last week, Mr. Powers began um, chapter 19 looking at of the law of God. Sometimes when we begin to talk of the law, it can bring out very visceral reactions. Uh, whether it's a human law or whether it's God's law, um, sometimes uh, we have those little hairs on the back of our neck stand up. Uh, because as soon as we mention law, then we say, well, we're being legalistic. We need to understand that uh, when we talk about God's law, it, it's a necessary thing. Uh, for it helps us to understand who God is, what he has done. But we understand that as we live, we do not live to accomplish our own salvation by keeping the law. For Christ is the only one who is able to keep the law. But to look at it and to say, how do we then interact with it? James chapter 2, starting in verse 10, says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of what? Of all. Then he continues, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. On last week, we looked at paragraph 1 and 2 and 5. Uh, that wasn't an accident because it was kind of looking at the moral law of God. But uh, let's look at paragraph 3 and 4 if you have the handout or on the screen behind me. Paragraph 3 begins and says, Besides this law, commonly called moral, God was pleased to give to the people of Israel ceremonial laws containing several typical ordinances, partly of worship, prefiguring Christ, his graces, actions, sufferings, and benefits, and partly holding forth diverse instructions of moral duties all which ceremonial laws being appointed only to the time of reformation are by Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, and the only lawgiver who is furnished with power from the Father for that end, abrogated and taken away. In paragraph 4, To them also he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any now by virtue of that institution, their general equity only being of modern use. Now again, we're jumping right into the middle, but let me go back a little bit and to kind of restate. We believe that there is what, the easier, easiest way to put it, a threefold division of God's law. To take God's law and to understand that, that there are specific sections of it that deal with certain things for different reasons. Now, we have to admit that there's not one verse that says there is three divisions of the law. This is something that we, looking at Scripture and trying to say, how do we apply it, we, we take this understanding of it. But even in this understanding of a threefold division, there's great uh, disagreement uh, 
there's disagreement on a threefold or a twofold or whether it's fully done away with and we only live in the law of Christ. But I believe the heart of dividing the law into the threefold division is to show the continuity between the Old Testament and New Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and also the discontinuity, how there is a difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Again, when we turn the pages from Malachi to Matthew, we don't just all of a sudden enter this whole new world that is completely like clean cut. But there's something that passes over. And looking at God's law, We believe that not all of it is done away with. There is an aspect that we are to follow, and we looked upon that last week. Admittedly, there's not, like, you can't go, okay, Leviticus 1 through 7 is moral law. Leviticus 8 through 10 is judicial law. There's not a dividing that happens that way. And that's where this can become very difficult. Where do we get this idea of a threefold? Well, some people say, well, John Calvin invented it. In his Institutes of Christian Religion, he said this, We must attend to the well-known division which distributes the whole law of God as promulgated by Moses into the moral, the ceremonial, and the judicial law. It's funny. People point to Calvin, and yet what does he say? It's well-known. He himself is standing on the shoulders and pointing, um, but many today say, well, Calvin created it. We can jump back even several hundred years before Calvin to Thomas Aquinas. In 1270, he said this, We must therefore distinguish three kinds of precept in the old law, viz. moral precepts, which are dictated by the natural law, ceremonial precepts, which are determinations of the divine worship, and judicial precepts, which are determinations of the justice to be maintained among them. But even 800 years before Thomas Aquinas, Augustine was saying similar thing when he said, for example, thou shalt not covet is a moral precept. Thou shalt circumcise every male on the eighth day is a symbolical precept. This isn't some new thing that we're throwing back on the word of God, but faithful men and women throughout all generations have looked at the law of God and said, how do we understand this? How do we understand this? How does what's continuing from the old covenant to the new covenant and what is not continuing from the old to the new covenant? Some point to Deuteronomy 6.1, where it says, now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to each of you. Again, they would kind of point, and, and I, I think it's a weak argument, but it is a, it's an argument to say commandments, statutes, and judgments are the threefold division of the law. Um, again, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, what does that mean? Talk to ten people and you're going to get many different answers. Uh, but we, we see that there is some way of prioritizing because God himself says through Samuel in First Samuel, uh, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Again, there's something that we see through the heart of God. They worship me with their lips, but their what? Their heart is far from me. So there's something of a ritualistic and external, but there's something greater. 
And that's where we would see, I believe, this moral, uh, uh, this threefold division of the law. Again, we've mentioned it several times. First of all, the first section is the moral law. Uh, Last week, Mr. Powers looked at this, but it's written upon all of our hearts. Given at creation, it's summarized in the Ten Commandments. Again, the Ten Commandments are not the only Ten Commandments, but they're, they're pictures and summarizations of the whole moral law of God. And the whole point of it is to show that there's a conscience that binds us, that brings a conviction. The two sections we're looking at tonight are the ceremonial and the judicial. The ceremonial are mainly those things pertaining to the worship of God. Think about uh, Leviticus when it gets into describing the tabernacle, how it's to be set up, how it's to be adorned, the, the offerings. If this type of a sin is happening, then this type of an offering has happened. If the person can't afford this, then here's the substitute of this. These are the ceremonial laws, again, pointing uh, to the worship of God primarily. And what is the key reason for those ceremonial laws? They're to point toward Christ. Again, we were, we were just looking at, at Hebrews. Hebrews, I think, is the, uh, the crux of looking to see how Christ has fulfilled uh, those ceremonial laws. That he was not like the earthly priests who had to offer sacrifices for themselves, but he offered himself up as that perfect sacrifice. As the confession states, that they point toward Christ, his graces, his actions, his sufferings, and his benefits. And the third uh, division of the law is the judicial or sometimes called the civil. Now, if you notice in the, uh, in the confession, it says it continues until the time of reformation. When you hear that, what do you think? Where do we hear the word Reformation. During the Protestant Reformation. That's that's not what's meant by that word. A a Reformation means something that was changing. Like Hebrews 8, 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. That's that time of Reformation. That first covenant that was growing old and that was being replaced by the new covenant. And that's that transition that would be taking place. Again, We understand that God's law is there, but the big question that we want to ask is, what does it mean to us today? We don't live in Old Testament Israel. Um, We don't, I I don't see long locks on anybody's, uh, they haven't, you haven't not cut the the sides of your hair, you're not wearing your prayer shawl. Um, But yet, it's good to ask ourselves these questions. What is the, the role today of the moral law, again, on last week we saw, it continues forever for everyone because it is written upon the heart of mankind through creation. It brings the conviction of sin. Though it cannot save, all it can do is condemn us. All it can do is to bring conviction. This is often not the question. Uh, Many people don't argue about the moral law of God and its role today. Where we get into more of the difficulty is, what about the judicial and the ceremonial law? Thinking about the ceremonial law, again, what was the purpose of it? It's to be used pertaining to the worship of God and to point toward Christ. 
Again, the tabernacle is a picture of Christ in so many ways. The, the whole sacrificial system pointed to Christ. No longer would there be a sacrifice, but Christ would offer one sacrifice for all. And we see that in his offering one sacrifice for all, it has ceased to be needed anymore. It was a shadow And we have the substance. We see that spoken of in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. So let one judge you in food and drink, or regard, excuse me, let no one, important little word there, uh, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance is of Christ. That there was an element of those that taught them something about Christ. That's why it's a good thing to look at the feasts and festivals of Israel. Not to fall in love with them, but to see the glory of what it shows about how Christ would be the fulfillment of that. Like 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul writes, Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ... Our Passover was sacrificed for us. Paul is saying, you know what? All of Passover is Christ. And so are we bound to keep Passover? No. Is it wrong for us as believers to to go through the Passover Seder? Absolutely not. If the emphasis points us to Christ, and we're not looking back to the old covenant, but we're seeing the fulfillment in Christ and our hope in our Savior. Again, Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 7, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandment of God is what matters. Time out. Isn't circumcision a part of the law, a commandment of God? See how Paul is dividing here? There's some division. There's something that he's saying, this has gone away with because no longer is there slave or is there Jew and Greek We'll see at the, um, at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 14, 15, that they make this decision. What, what about these new believers? Do they need to be circumcised into the picture of the old covenant? And the answer was, well, no. But they do ask them to refrain from blood. And so Paul is even drawing this, this differentiation. But there is a command of God that matters. Now, again, it's good to study these things, but I, I, I have a feeling because of the walk of life many of us are in, we know people who have started to get involved in that and then it f- falls into this Hebrew roots movement or there's a lot of different names for them that, that now we go back to living in the old covenant. We're not bound to live that way. We're not bound to live by the dietary laws. Those are all part of the ceremony. Actually, the dietary uh, would be more of the, the civil or judicial. But these, uh, these uh, religious um, worship elements that God had ordained are no longer needed because they're fulfilled in Christ. Again, what is the benefit to us is to see the glory of Christ in uh, the fulfillment of them. Well, what about that third uh, division of the law, the judicial or the civil? Again, the judicial and the civil was to set apart the nation Israel among all the other nations. 
in a sense, to make them a, a peculiar nation that, that, was, that was different. But this judicial system, the civil laws, were done away with. Look at the, the confession, um, how it states in paragraph 4. To them he also gave sundry or various judicial laws which expired together with the state of that people. What it means by the state of that people is speaking about the nation, the, the theocracy that the nation was under. It, it no longer existed. When the north was, um, was taken away by Babylon and finally conquered under Rome, under the judgment of God. The nation Israel, as far as the, the Old Testament theocratic nation of Israel, no longer exists. Is there still a physical nation of Israel? Yes. But are they under the theocratic, under the, uh, under the auspice of God in upholding his law? No. And that's where it can be difficult in our day and age, because we still see a physical Israel uh, uh, who are ethnic of that root but we're not talking about nation in that sense we're talking about holding themselves under the old covenant of god it was done away with by the judgment of god when he brought that now what is what about the judicial or the civil laws again the the confession says that in them there's an understanding of what fair and brings about general equity Again, we look to them not as to bring about uh, full fulfillment, um, not to bring about a theonomy that God's law then becomes our state law, but we do see what is fair and judicial. Again, um, some have stated uh, that uh, the United States government has many good things because it has a lot of the foundations of God's law put into it. Um, some have even stated that uh, the, the Huguenots uh, probably had one of the best uh, biblical uh, fleshings out of God's law in their society. But we understand what is general equity. Again, God's law speaks about there must be two witnesses. What is proper restitution for this or for that? And again, the principle is not to bring those, all those laws in per se, but there are principles that we can be gleaning from them to think about the protections that God's law brings um, in its uh, uh, protection of the accused, but also the accuser. There's a lot of good principles that we can glean, but it is no longer binding to us. We do have some dear brothers and sisters in Christ who are post-millennial who would say, hey, we need to take God's law and bring it into society in every way. We need to be careful. I believe that's the wrong application of this truth. But to see that God's law has brought about what is fair and what is equitable, but it is not binding. Again, the threefold division, the moral law, the ceremonial, and the judicial. We break those up to understand that the moral continues forever. We see that in the Ten Commandments that it is a morally binding upon all people for all, but the judicial and the civil, um, excuse me, the judicial and the ceremonial have been done away with, one fulfilled in Christ and one with the state of Israel no longer existing. Again, these are things that 
we have to continue to be wrestling with. We have to look and to ask the Lord to help us to understand. But what is the root of it? To understand what is that old covenant? How does it relate to the new covenant? And how do we live today in light of all of God's law when Paul says all scripture is profitable? That's where we see the prophet in all of scripture. I pray that that has maybe been beneficial as we continue to look at the law of God next week. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we want to rightly divide your word of truth. And Lord, we do not want to put impositions that are man-created upon your word. We want your word to speak. And so, Lord, continue to guide us, to lead us into truth. And so, Holy Spirit, we, we ask, Lord, that you would do the work that you have been sent uh, to guide us into truth to convict us of sin. And Lord, we pray that as we uh, continue to study these things, that you would give us clarity, that, uh, that these things would not just be theoretical in our minds, that they would not just be useless information, but Lord, that we would be able to say how we delight in thy law, that we love your law, for it shows us your glory, and we proclaim it. Lord, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.